Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Wednesday, everybody, and welcome into the Gramlick and McLean podcast, presented by Ingles, the official supermarket of Gramlick and McLean. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. We have a special challenge going on on social media, so make sure you check it out. Mac, you reminded me, for people watching YouTube, millennials, we do a heart like this. I saw something on social media that Gen Z does it like like this or something. Whoa, actually, do the pinkies again. Different. Whoa, do the... Wow, that yeah. looks good. My yeah. hands are well, just too I don't know. big and too weird. That looks the pinky look good for you. There's just so many things. Good. You know, like if you say if you say to a millennial or a, a Gen Z person, how would you answer the phone? Instead of doing this, they just do this. Yeah, or just like yeah. I'm like, what are? How are Amelia and Jacob going to be quote unquote answering well, the phone? Yeah, I, I, I was just know. about to ask you that. Has has Jacob um, answered the phone yet? No, he he's not that advanced, Eric McLean. He doesn't he doesn't oh, know that. I don't, I mean, he's nine. Come on, we got to get going. I will never forget the first time Amelia grabbed some object and went like this and said, "Huh?" And I was like, "What?" First of all, we don't talk on the phone around you. And number one, I'm always on speakerphone anyway, so right. I hold it like this. Right? How do you know to put something up to your ear? That's crazy. And say hello. And now, like, she does it with everything. Oh, and we, we actually so just bought her a little phone toy whatever like a little stuffed phone but is it an and, iphone uh, is the toy does the toy look no, like an no, no. iphone it's like a dial up okay uh, i like that i like that old school yeah this is retro she's gonna know she's gonna know <laughs> to do this all right <laughs> i love it. that's good parenting mac good parenting but yeah, our well, our ingles challenge is out there for valentine's day so <laughs> go check it out on social but the main thing that we want from you guys is if you're grabbing stuff for valentine's by the way if you're doing it today um <laughs> gentlemen, you're a little late. Whoa, whoa. I'm just going to say, go. here we go. It's most likely That's the exactly gentleman. What I addressed on Monday. Yeah. Cause the women don't do it at all. That's a great point. Yeah, That's well, a great point. Katie. This is our day. This is one of our days. Um, yeah, one of. <laughs> but make sure you go to Ingles now. You need to go now. Like put this on in your car and drive to Ingles yeah. and get some flowers, okay. chocolate, you know what? whatever for you. You know food. what we're about to do? We're, we're about to have a, uh, an intervention right here. KG. Uh, when, when is your anniversary with your husband? July 10th. You know what I need you to do? I need you to plan the anniversary dinner. Okay. Uh, I normally do. Why is it always us? It's, I oh, normally you do. do. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I am so disappointed in you right now. This is unreal. Unbelievable. That is amazing news. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, I, I normally back. do. Take back what I said. Just take because said. Nick's like, just tell me, just, you know, make a reservation where you want to go. Come on, we're not that busy, bro. Make it happen. Make he's, it happen. he's a busy, important, that important is person. Amazing. That just totally got smashed in my face, almost as badly as me thinking Wake Forest was going to win six plus oh. games this year. Which, speaking of, uh, we, we we had to do something. We had to do something, anything, help us, something. Help us. Uh, we you know we have seventeen of these now, guys. Seventeen you know participants in the ACC. Uh, so that's going to be so fun. Our, uh, our, uh, what, what we used to call it, the, the, the big game breakdown. We used to only have yeah. three. I mean, maybe it stays that way. Who knows? Uh, but now it might have like six. We'll work you just on don't it. know. You have so many teams. You have so many teams. Uh, and, and speaking of, Connor O'Neill is joining us today. I was on the prowl, KG. I'm, I'm out there. I'm hunting for talent to bring to this podcast. And I'm thinking, how <laughs> in the world are we going to find 17 people? 
Is there any way we can condense it? And as I'm scrolling through the Twitterverse, I see a unicorn mm. just sitting there out in the wind. And it says, Duke and Wake Forest. That's my guy, Connor, That's today. Guy. So we're talking about the, the Blue Devils. We're talking about the Demon Deacons. And Connor O'Neill is the guy to break it all down for us. So we're very grateful for his time. I hope he adds it to his Twitter bio. You'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. <laughs> Real quick, a message from our friends over at Ingles, and then we'll get to the interview. Let's go. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Connor O'Neill joins us today. Brother, listen, we, I was just making a joke about it, how we were looking at any way possible to condense these episodes. Because we have 17. And as KG said, nobody thought about us, okay, when they decided to add teams and the more work that we were going to have to do on this <sighs> podcast. And I'm browsing around, and there's my unicorn staring at me on Twitter, a guy that covers Wake Forest and the Duke Blue Devils. Connor, welcome, my man. Thank you so much. And uh, we're jacked up to have you today, brother. Thanks for having me. I, this might be a, a record-setting uh, first ever time that I've been referred to as a unicorn. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go knock that off the bucket list here. There you go. If you want to put that in your uh, X or Twitter bio, please feel free. That is fine. I'll let you have that. Uh, but There's a unicorn emoji. Man. That's right. That's right. Oh man, go all in. You can go all in, man. <laughs> but we're jacked up to have you, man. We we really are. And uh, like I said, we're going to be covering Duke and Wake Forest. So let's start with the Blue Devils. Um, you know, because there, there's a bit to get into uh, with these guys, and and really just want to start. You know, kind of from a ten thousand foot view, looking at their season. I'm there on Monday night. I'm excited for football, and they just beat the heck out of my Clemson Tigers. Go on a bit of a run. And then some injuries, some some weird things happen, and, and they kind of stumbled to the finish line. Had a great bowl win, which was actually very surprising to me, uh, and, and got a little momentum there. But what did you think of this Duke team in 2023? I thought the season kind of played out in two parts. Like I think you look at September and the early October win against NC State with Henry Beelan in there, quarterback, completing four passes. Um you know, I, I think that showed kind of the potential of where Duke's program can go. Uh, if healthy and and the healthy part, like I just mentioned, Henry started that game for Riley Leonard and Riley Leonard was never really right after that injury against Notre Dame. So I think that's, that's where you want to think that Duke's football program can go, which is kind of a crazy notion to somebody that would have paid attention to them in the mid two thousands when they were lucky to win one game. Um, and then the second half kind of shows you still how far they have to go. Uh, the limitations in terms of being at a school like Duke uh, where you're you're able to build some depth, but you're never going to have all the depth that you want to have. And, and you're never going to have the depth that measures up to the top tier programs in the in the ACC. Um, and it's really it, it kind of it's one of those seasons that dangles the carrot a little bit and, and makes you think of what's possible, but also is a reminder of how much work there's still left to be done. That's a great way to put it. I, I do think this season dangled the carrot a little bit because you are one injury away from 
really struggling. Of course, Riley Leonard, so important to this team, but they did find a way to win some games without him and the bowl game, I think was impressive for everybody. Um, overall, Connor, I just want to talk about that opening game for a second, because, you know, it, it was shocking to a lot of people. You were on Monday night, Labor Day night, everybody's watching, there's nothing else on, and you beat Clemson 28-7. So that's a huge win for the program. Had you seen, I know Duke has played in an ACC championship and that kind of thing. So they've had some success recently. Had you seen a bigger moment for Duke football as of late? Probably not. I mean, you know, they were they were in the ACC championship game 10 years ago, but that loss to the Jameis Winston Florida State team that went undefeated. But that was a Duke survived the Coastal. Like they lost the first two games of the Coastal that year. Um, and, and that was one of those years of, of, I don't know if there was ever any other kind of coastal survival where whoever survived <laughs> that division was going to come out of there and it's like, okay, well, we'll see what you can do against a Clemson or Florida State team that's a national championship contender. Good luck. Godspeed. I hope you score at least a couple touchdowns. Like, <laughs> yeah, long? I mean, so so that's the first moment that I think of, but obviously, like, it, it's – it's just a different level when you do it against a preseason. At, what was Clemson top five or top ten? Number uh, nine. A program, yep. Number nine. A program that's had a, just a stranglehold on the conference for the better mm-hmm. part of a decade, and and you go out there and beat them by three touchdowns. Um, that that was that was a heck of a moment, and yeah. uh, it's one that Duke is not going to soon forget. Uh, and and they're gonna. We're, we're going to be looking at a lot of pictures from that night for, for a while in, in the recruiting circles, all that, all that stuff. It's, it's going to hold some water for a while. Connor, let me add on to that because I do think the, the support for Duke, you started to see some, the, that stadium being full against Clemson. Yes, you saw a decent bit of orange. Like, I get that. But you had Notre Dame as well. And that place was packed with some Notre Dame fans, sure. But the place was packed. Like, it looked great on television. And then, of course, you sputter a bit down the stretch. And then Mike Elko leaves you. And we're going to get to that. And then, you know, you have Manny Diaz being hired. But my real question is, the momentum that Duke was able to grab, are you still feeling that? Is that still something they can they can hold on to and, and use into 2024? I think parts of it, like I, I think the part of beating Clemson in that open, or the part of having game day come to Duke for the first time ever. I think you can you can hold those. Uh, it just it becomes a little tough when you look at how the season ended. It becomes a little tough when you look at the staff transition and change and every, every upheaval part of it that comes with needing a new coach for the third time in, uh, what, two, two years or so? Um, or second time in two years, right? Um, but yeah, it, it it's it's kind of this double-edged sword, right? It's just parts of it you can carry over and parts of it kind of went out the door uh, whatever that weekend was where Mike Elko left. Yeah. I, I do agree with you, brother. And, and I wanted to hit on that game day. I'm glad you brought that up because that that was amazing. I mean, do, whoever you know would sit here and think Duke is hosting game day and was electric. You know, the 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 environment was fantastic. Uh, was a great scene. Obviously, the the crowd uh, uh, again there. How was that week? Because I, I just I remember thinking back and you know talking with them and going back and forth on on different things that week. Because I think we had somebody on uh, KG from Duke uh, leading into that game, 
and it was just chaos, you know, from from an outsider's perspective. So I can't imagine, you know, being in that, covering that team, and and just what was all of that like that entire weekend. Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, you're you're trying to put this into perspective for a school that like game the basketball version of game day comes every year and it's no big deal but then it's football and it's this is this is novelty like this is something brand new for this program and so duke really wanted to put its best foot forward that you know and more than anything it was about football like it wasn't about duke being a basketball school and hey look we have football as this nice thing that we also do like it was it was Duke football front and center. And I think that was important to a lot of people at Duke. And and they really, they did a good job of it. The the school did a good job. Game day did, did a good job. Like there wasn't, you know, cutaways to football players playing in Cameron. There, there wasn't <laughs> Coach K as the guest picker or anything, right. <laughs> anything like that. Like it was all about Duke football. And, and they really, like that's the part where you, where you take that and you, you bring that forward with, with the new staff. Yeah. Great point. I, I agreed. Cause when I watched, I thought, oh, where's the gimmicky basketball stuff? But they didn't. I, I was dreading it coming, but it didn't. It didn't happen. I thought that was good. Let's talk about a little bit of the elephant in the room, and that's our guy, Riley Leonard, who we love, by the way. Riley came on our pod probably three or four times. Nicest kid in the world. Oh, my God. Um, and, you know, a guy that just blew up at Duke, and now he's at Notre Dame. And this is funny for you, Connor, because you also cover Wake Forest. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Notre Dame took that quarterback as well, took Sam Hartman. So. I guess my big question is just your reaction to Riley Leonard leaving. And do you think he leaves if Mike Elko doesn't leave? What What are your thoughts on, on Riley moving on? Yeah, I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to think of which quarterback from the current rosters is going to be Notre Dame's quarterback in 25. I think they're really high on some <laughs> young kid, but I'll, I'll believe that he's Maybe they'll smarter. just take someone from NC State or UNC and just take, you know, someone from all four of the UNC, uh, the North Carolina schools. Yeah. That alleviates some of my uh, Q&As with Notre Dame sites that want to know about their new quarterback. Um, <laughs> been able to plan on those twice now. No, um, the, the really... We're so fresh into whatever era this is of college football and college sports in general that through through some kind of where we are in the climate, by November, it kind of felt like Riley Leonard might move on. And it was a little bit of whispers around the program, but it was more so the fact that he's got one year left of eligibility. There are two kids behind him that have won games as starting quarterbacks this year. and does Riley want to move on and maximize his value? He was a draft prospect that got hurt. So does he want to come back with the same school or does he want to enter the portal and and try to make the most out of his status as a prospect? And it just became, however, whatever way that we think about this, it became the logical step for him to go into the portal. And if Mike Elko stays, maybe the formula, maybe the, like the equation changes, but I don't, I don't know if the result changes. Like, I think it still might be Riley sees that his best opportunity to make the most of himself as a prospect is going to Notre Dame. And I'll be honest, yeah. too, I thought the fit at Notre Dame was awful because I thought him going in to run a pro-style offense was like, I got it with Sam Hartman because Sam Hartman was a pocket-passing quarterback at heart. Riley is a dual threat in every sense of the word. Yeah. But then when they change offensive coordinators and all of a sudden you're telling me he's got the offensive coordinator that won Jaden Daniels, the Heisman, like, <laughs> oh, well, 
this makes a whole lot of sense now. I, I don't, it, it didn't, it didn't rhyme when he entered the portal and when he committed there, but it, it's certain it suddenly it was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's a great fit. Yeah. He's going to do well. And you get excited. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you see that and you see the potential, uh, when you, when you add that, cause I was with you, I just like, uh, I don't like that. You know, I, I get the helmet, I get the brand, uh, I, I get the history, but I don't like the fit at all. And then when that change happened, you're just like, okay, yeah. let's see, you know, let's, let's see what, what can be done here. And, and you get excited you know, really about the future. Last thing for, for kind of 23 here, and then let's do a little forward facing and, and move on. Uh, that bowl game, I took every fake money dollar that I had and I put it on Troy to, to just blow those guys out. I mean, I just thought that, you know, they were going to be out physical. All it. these guys were, she did take it, which was weird. Uh, you know, I, I believe in Dwayne I Carter. I believed in that guy. He could, he could sell ice to an Eskimo. Yeah, he's the best. He is the best. But, you know, all those names popping up that weren't playing, and then actually they did play, which was weird. They're like, they, they're committed. I don't know about sign, but committed to NC State and Virginia yeah. Tech, and they're playing for Duke. That was so weird for me because I thought those guys weren't playing. So I'm looking at this list. I'm like, no, there, there's no shot. I don't know half these people <laughs> that are going to play. And then they do. And low-key, they dominated. Like, the score is a little bit closer than, than the game really was. I mean, Duke flexed their muscles. How did that happen? And were you as shocked as I was to see Virginia Tech and NC State players playing for Duke? I, I guess I, I kind of cheated because they had a they had a practice that we could come to, and I'm I'm looking out there at the practice and trying to. Hey, make, you could have tweeted it, man. You could have let me know I, that. I think I put it on my board. <laughs> you know, it, that's that's the weird uh, thing about going from newspapers to to the internet world and having a message board is like I'm I need to put the important information behind a paywall and. But but anyway, like yeah, we're we're at the practice, and it's like, hey, is that Jordan Waters? That looks like Jordan Waters at running back. He has a different number on, and they get a, we we get explained to us that okay, practice numbers they don't mean as much because these guys switch jerseys all the time. Emac, you might be able to speak to that. I don't know. I don't know the way you guys did things at Clemson, but uh, yeah, it was like Jordan. Wa- and Aeneas Peebles has the QB pressure at the end of the game against Troy to force the interception that seals the deal. To me, it also wasn't as much of a surprise that those guys played because of how much Trooper Taylor meant to them. Their interim coach, he he was an interim coach twice for about two or three weeks at a time. Like he was the interim when David Cutcliffe got or resigned. Um, and then he took over after Mike Elko. And the players love Trooper. Like he is he is the epitome of a player's coach. He is hard on you. He he's a tough love coach, but he will love you up as soon as he tears you down. And uh they they wanted to play for him. Like everybody came together and and Duke's approach, I think I think you'll start to see this more and more and Duke getting a little bit of publicity is going to help it, but these players that go into the portal that have that have done everything they can at their current school, not the kids that leave after right. a year or two, but the kids that are leaving with degrees and and going somewhere else. And as long as you leave in good standing, you're going to be able to play in that bowl game. Like I, that's that's the way Duke looked at it. That's why Aeneas Peebles was in there. Jordan Waters, um, I think Brandon Johnson played. He's going to Oregon now. Like that's that's why those guys were able to play. And you know, I it, it would have probably looked different if not for having Aeneas Peebles in there and right. and, and those types of players. Right. Jordan Moore, I mean, Jordan Moore, I thought was in the portal gone, and then he's there and he's back. It, it was it was really yeah. just 
it, it was so weird of how everything that I thought and, and guys that were gone that weren't, which, I mean, that's good for Duke. That's a good thing. Uh, but KG, it definitely was strange and unexpected. Might have changed my pick. I don't know. I'll just say, but I did not. Yes. Predict. I absolutely did It not was predict. hard. I mean, bowl games are hard to predict now just because you have no idea. But I respected it. I respected that they played. And I also respected that Duke was okay with them playing, especially with the coaching change. I get that. Yeah. And I think that's, that adds to it. Um, before we get to Wake Forest, Connor, let's just look ahead to 2024 for Duke. Manny Diaz, the new head coach at Duke. I think, you know, losing Mike Elko was a blow, but you get Manny Diaz and that's someone that, that's a name that you can sell tickets and be excited about. And then Malik Murphy coming over from Texas. That is really fun. So what did you make of, of bringing in Manny and Malik and, and looking ahead to 24? I'm really curious to see. I think Manny is is an accomplished recruiter. And yeah. I want to see his growth in what he learned from being a head coach at Miami for three years right. and then taking the step backward and being a DC at Penn State for the last two. And we're we're gonna find out how much he grew as a head coach between 2021 and, and 2024, whenever the season opens. Um that's that's really where I land. Like they're they're going to make recruiting inroads. They're going to win some battles that Duke probably has not won in the past in recruiting. Uh, it's and then it's it's about where I think Mike Elko thrived as a first time head coach is game management and and being being that kind of coach in games um, is where I really want to see where Manny is compared to where he was at Miami. Um, Malik Murphy, I. I I struggle. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but I also feel like mm, that was uh-oh. a little bit of a superfluous addition. Like I, I feel like mm. you had a second-year quarterback and a first-year quarterback win games in the ACC for you. I don't know that you needed to go out and get that position. And those mm. are the only three quarterbacks on the roster right now. And when you bring in a guy who's kind of your heir apparent like crown prince he won games for texas then they were in the cfp last year does that mean grayson loftus or henry Bielan is going to transfer at the end of the spring leaving you with two quarterbacks like i i get it i i and i completely agree like when you have the point when you have the chance to go out and get a quarterback of malik murphy's caliber like manny diaz has known him since he was an eighth grader or something like that like there's there's an established relationship there. It's not like they just went out and threw NIL money at him to get him. Right. Um, you have to take that chance. Like you you have to go try to get that and make a splash. I just I, I kind of look forward and think, okay, what's the what's the ramifications of this long term? And and I that's the other part I want to see. And and I think I'll get a I'll get a resolution on that before we get to know what kind of coach Manny Diaz is once the season starts. Wow. That's fascinating. Uh, and, and a very interesting way to look at it. And, and, and I mean, I think you're right in this, this portal era, you know, you, you just don't know. And, you know, I think that that's why, you know, a lot of these coaches and even Duke a couple of years ago, uh, North Carolina, a couple of years ago, you string out this word quarterback competition when it isn't a quarterback competition, because you don't want guys to leave. Oh you don't want guys to transfer. And so you hold on to that. And so we might see that at Duke, unless it's just blatantly obvious, which maybe not, because it, it was in North Carolina, but they still threw that a word around. I mean, Notre, Notre uh, Dame, so that is fascinating. Notre Dame last year had Sam Hartman in a competition, and the guy had thrown 110 touchdown passes in his career. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
you got to keep yeah. him. You got to keep him on yeah. the roster. I, I'm excited. I, I think Malik can can do some things, and uh, you know, especially with the guys on the roster that'll be catching those passes. I, I'm excited about that. Looking at the schedule, I, I think again that it it's favorable in the way that you start uh, for a new coach, for a potential new quarterback, and, and some new pieces. Elon at Northwestern, uh, you know, versus UConn, ACC UConn. You know, kind of put an asterisk by that one, uh, and then at Middle Tennessee. It feels like, and then you open conference play against North Carolina at home, which is awesome. I love that. It feels like, hey, if we're four and zero, we're in a really good spot, and maybe that confidence comes surging back. Is that is it a must in your eyes to be four and zero, or or how do you feel about the start there? I think three and one can get you there. Really, the the one that stands out to me is that Northwestern. Uh, Duke manhandled Northwestern last year, and it was every, every bit. That was such a funny game to look back on in November because when the game happened, it was just like, okay, Duke beat the worst team in the Big Ten. They have an interim coach. They just went through turmoil. Like They did exactly what they were supposed to do against a team that we don't think is better than many G5s. Then you look at it in November, it's like, whoa, Northwestern's bowl eligible? They're really good. They took the interim tag off David Braun. That was actually a really good win for Duke. So you, you try to post-credit it. Um, that's right. <laughs> and that's the one like going up to Northwestern. That's, that's, uh, it's how to put this gently. It's not the most intimidating place to play, but it's also, it's sure. it kind of turns into a morgue and that yeah. can be tough to go up there and win when it's low energy. Um, and yeah. Duke was really lucky to get out of there with a win a couple years ago when they went up and they were a forced fumble at the goal line away from Northwestern looking at a two point conversion to tie the game. Sure, sure. Yeah, got to bring your own energy uh, for for sure there. So, all right, well, that's great. I, I'm excited about Duke. I, I think they're. it'll be interesting to see kind of where they land, what they're able to get going, and again, how quickly can that coach-quarterback connection really flourish. Let's move on to Wake Forest uh, because this was a team that I was dead wrong about. I <laughs> a thought lot of people were. were. Be, yeah. I thought they were going to be good. I mean, not. I knew there was going to be some some you know pain and a little bit of regression from losing a guy like Sam Hartman. That is so fantastic. Uh, but I thought the system was in place where you 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 fit right in, and we saw you know flashes of Griffiths when he got his opportunity, and in, in you know either you know backup time or when he had to start uh, early in the season a couple of years ago. Um, the receivers were in place. I thought this was the best receiving core, one of the best receiving cores in the ACC, and even from that first game, man, we we were there, and I just remember watching it like this might not be good, like. We're holding on to the ball too long. Guys are, are miscommunicating. Offensive line not doing the best. Defense giving up some chunky runs. And I just remember sitting there on Thursday night against Elon, mighty Elon. Shout out to to uh, West Durham there, um, he, his favorite. Uh, and I was just like, Connor, this might not be good. Yeah, this might not be. Good. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, I noted West. I, I hope West gets this because yeah. I think he gets residuals every time Mighty Elon is, is mentioned. <laughs> and you, Connor, yes. right? You're an Elon yes. guy. Yep, yep. That's right. I don't know if Connor's ever said Mighty Elon, though. That's, that's, a, that's a West thing. That's a West thing. Unless when, you have. Unless when it was the Packer and Durham show he had me on and he made me say it, or it was something like it was a little forced. But yeah. Um, I, I went into the season thinking that, that, that it would really test Wake's floor as a program. And mm. I, along with, it sounds like you, Emac, probably you, Kelly, I was wrong about how low that floor would go. I thought a floor would be six wins and one of those pre-Christmas bowls. Um, 
it just it, it kind of goes to they got quarterback wrong. Um, we yeah. can we can say that now. It's not beating around the bush. Um, Mitch Griffiths struggled in that role. I think he was banged up more than we ever knew. Um, I, I think I think he was really not the same quarterback he was after the first three or four games. Um, I also think it was not just on him. It was the offense was a systematic failure from every position group. Like you could look at every position group and say, this group has a flaw here and they're trying to overcompensate for it over here. And that's taking away from their effectiveness. Um, We really like, if I could get in my time machine, I would go back and in the first week of fall camp, I would write about how much of a big deal it was that Donovan Green was hurt and was going to miss yeah. the season. Uh, we they, they didn't announce it as a season-ending injury, but it basically was with the time frame that we were given. Um, I mean, that was, that was a huge blow. They went from having two go-to outside receivers that were established threats to only having one in Jamal Banks. And... I looked at it as they had Jamal Banks was your 50-50 guy, but he wasn't going to run past anybody. And they had two slot receivers in Taylor Morin and Keyshawn Williams that were going to run past people, but you couldn't throw 50-50 balls to. So it it just got to a point where it was like, man, this this team has a lot of flaws and it, it has a lot more than than we thought coming in. And uh, it was just really tough for them to overcome. That's a great point to bring up with Donovan Green because you think about the wide receiver group that Sam Hartman had the previous year and also with A.T. Perry gone and all that and then how it was pretty depleted. I think the O-line was also a problem and then we know the defense the year before struggled a good bit and Wake was able to compensate because they could score this year not as much. Um, the the floor comment that you make is really interesting because I did not, even if Wake had it down here, to say they're going to finish below Virginia in the league, finish dead last in the league, is shocking. How does Wake turn this thing back around, Connor? I mean, can you give us a few ways that they can do that? It starts at quarterback, um, and it's going to be, you know, they brought in Hank Bachmeyer as a sixth-year guy. He's going to be 25 years old when the season starts. Um, Kelly, is that older than you? Um, thank you for asking, Connor. <laughs> it is not, but barely. I'm just barely older than that. So thank gotcha. you. Um, they'll have another six-year guy, Michael Kern. And yep. Michael Kern actually played well. And that was part of the other thing that, that was one of the moving parts in their season was Michael Kern took over the quarterback role in the Virginia Tech game and got hurt in the same game and had to miss the next month with a shoulder injury he would have been the starting quarterback moving forward. I don't know if that changes the outcome of any games, but it at least changes the carousel of having Santino Marucci start the pit game and then going back to Mitch Griffiths and trying to make things work with Mitch. And so it'll be Kern Bachmeyer as two sixth year guys against two guys that have never taken college snaps and somebody will come out of the, out of the battle. Um, they have a freshman coming in in Jeremy Heklinski who they think really highly of. Um, he at the at the highest level of Georgia high school public school high school football, he threw something like fifty touchdowns and four interceptions, and his team went undefeated until they lost the state championship game. So he's coming in with a great pedigree, and they have Charlie Gilliam, who's kind of the dark horse in the race, I would say, just because he was on the roster this past year and and 
I don't think he even traveled to every road game, but he's spent a year in the system and we'll see what he has in as they take a look at him. But, you know, that's, that's the main thing. And and Dave Clawson was completely upfront with us that by the end of the season, it was just like, we have to open up quarterback competition. Like we have to see what we have. We have to bring in a guy and they brought in Hank um, to, to tell you more about how highly they think of Jeremy Heklinski. They brought in Hank and specifically target a quarterback that they got one year with. Like they didn't want to bring in a guy like a Malik Murphy who has multiple years of eligibility. They, they wanted a one-year guy that would be experienced enough to and mature enough to handle picking up every part of their offense and being able to apply it in a short period of time. So yeah. that's number one. And then the rest of the story kind of it it's kind of the same story that it always is with Wake. It's building out depth. Like you feel good about some returning starters. They get Taylor Morin back. Um, they've got some outside receivers that are going to need to mature and step up, but with Taylor back, they at least have that dynamic slot that they always seem to have. Um, they get DeMond Claiborne back, who is a really good running back. We got to see we, he was kind of like the best kept secret as a freshman. He burst onto the scene last year. Um, and defense, I, their defense went, went kind of under the radar as a decent defense last year. It was better than it had been. Um, they just wore down like their November was bad, but they were, they were gassed. Uh, they put too much pressure on themselves because of what the offense had been. Uh, I, I do think that Brad Lambert in his second year, it, it kind of, it got lost in the shuffle of everything else that went wrong, but that was a unit that showed some growth and, and got a little bit better. And then they returned some key pieces, mainly Jasheen Davis at defensive end uh, has a chance to be, one of the best pass rushers in the ACC, I would say. Yeah, he he's a he's a freaky talent and a guy that I remember a couple of years ago, uh, you know, watching Rondell, and then you're just like, whoa, who's that? Yeah, you know, who's thirty? Yeah. Uh, that's jumping off the screen here. Um, and I and I'm with you. It's it's going to be fascinating. You have to replace so many pieces with Banks and and Williams, uh, Ellison, as you mentioned, Wesley Grimes. I mean, guys that you know, I, I had on lists that, you know, I thought these guys were going to be really, really good and now they're just all gone. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be fascinating in just this new world that we're in, man. It's, it's, it's tough. It really is. Cause when you are such a developmental program, uh, that does an unbelievable job of taking talent and turning it in, you know, maybe taking in a two star, three star and turning it into a four or five star by the time they leave the program, uh, that that's, that's hard. You know, it's hard when you can just lose guys like they are, but I think Clawson is, is an unbelievable coach. I think they have a great staff, and they just have to figure it out. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting year. Connor, this was so much fun, man. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you for being our unicorn uh, and, and condensing this for us. Uh, so we had to do one less episode, man. We appreciate you. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I, don't know, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the Cal and Stanford beats, so maybe there's somebody out there covering both. Let's um, hope. It's not that big of a state, right? I mean, they're close. Yeah. You might as well just do it. Please. <laughs> Thanks again to Connor, our unicorn, Mac, for joining us today to break down Wake Forest and Duke. I am really interested, I got to be honest, a little more interested in Duke. Um, Wake, you know, if we can pull it together, I would love that because my mother-in-law is a proud Deke, as we've talked about. But with Duke, I I liked Connor's take on did they need to bring in Malik Murphy Mm. with the guys that they have. And 
you know, what's going to happen post-spring. That's going to be really interesting to watch. Are all those guys still on the roster post-spring? We'll right, see. Right. It, 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 uh, fascinating, to say the least, as I'm scrolling right here to try and find uh, what I'm looking here with Malik. Um, because I, I was a little shocked, to be honest, because when you bring in a guy, you know, of that caliber. Yeah, he's a big here's name. What Duke, here's what Duke didn't have. 6'5", 230, wheels, and a cannon. Okay? Right. Let's be real. Let's okay. be real. A guy that beat out uh, someone by the name of Manning yeah. uh, to, to, to be second on the list there for, for Texas. Bunch of five stars. He was a very highly recruited guy coming out of high school. I just – I don't have any reservations about it. Unless he just stinks. I mean, it's not good, which I don't think that's the case. Um, I think he's going to be tremendous. I think he's going to add a real boost and just another level of excitement. You know, Agreed. Very similar, uh, you know, kind of what they had last year with the quarterback position. Everybody's excited. So – I think they'll be fine there. Wake Forest, like you said, just worried about. You know, we, there's just a lot of shoes to fill. Um, not a lot of shoes being brought in via the portal. Some good pieces, some some nice, you know, offensive linemen and a linebacker and things of that nature. But it, it's going to be interesting. Quarterback, obviously. Um, we'll see. We'll see what Wake Forest looks like. Again, confident in that staff, but we are in a new world. You know, yeah, in college exactly. football, and and something has to be done. So anyway, big shout out to Connor as KG just said there. Appreciate his time. Uh, we need you guys' help. We need you to go over to YouTube, subscribe, jump in the comments section, leave some comments on the QB situation here. I, I'm interested to see what you know people think about that there, and uh, we might throw that out there on Twitter as well, just to see what what's kind of going on. Uh, and of course, the OGs over on Apple Podcasts as well. Rate, review, subscribe. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all.